0: We're going to be reading this morning, if you open up your Chumash, your Red Book, to page 87. The same piece that we'll be studying is found in the sheet that says, Open Up. One of these sheets, the one with all of the commentaries, the little small type, about 48 different sources... You can put that one underneath your book. We're not looking at that one, but I'll tell you what it is in a moment. Give me about ten minutes and I'll get to that one. The only sheet you need, it says open up on it and your red chumash. Open up and your red chumash. The Torah that we have right here that will be read in a moment by grace, mitzvah, the Torah as we have it is full of beauty, wisdom, elegance instruction, great advice remarkable wisdom, prescient it also is full of stories that are difficult dark, painful the kinds of stories that we would not want to repeat. The kinds of stories that we would want to interrogate in some way undo. It is a repository of Or Vichoshech, light and dark. This morning's reading from chapter 16 of the book of Genesis is no different. This morning we are reading about the story of Sarah and her handmaiden, her maidservant, Hagar, 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 known as the mother of Yishmael, the child that she bore for Avram. I want to interrogate this story for the next 15 minutes in both its the way that the rabbis and the tradition of the last 2,000 years tried to both make it into a good thing and to end up in a place which is not so good for the sake of truth. Let's read together. Sarai, Avram's wife, born, had borne him no children. Lo yaldala, lo vela, shivcha She had an Egyptian maidservant, whose name was Hagar. Bartomer Sarai, and Sarai said to Avram, Look, God has kept me from bearing children. Consort, be with my maid. Perhaps I shall have a son through her. Ulai ibanemi menna. Avram, the call Sarai, and Abram listened. He obeyed. He heeded Sarai's request. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took her maid, Hagar, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt in the land of Canaan for ten years, gave her to her husband, Abram as a concubine, as in Isha. He cohabited with Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was lowered in her esteem. And Sarai said to Avram, I am angry at you. My wrong, the wrong done to me is your fault, Avram. It's your fault. You gave me, right, I gave you my maidservant, but she saw that I was pregnant. She sees that I am pregnant. I have been lowered in her eyes. I am lowered in her esteem. Avram said to Sarah, your maid is in your hands I'm giving her to you deal with her as you might think is right and Sarah then treated her harshly and she ran away so what's happening here in the story Hagar's behavior here in a moment will be problematic for the rabbis but who wants to tell me the gist of the story as they say outside What's the story? Sarah, or Sarai, has no children. So she says, what? Get a surrogate. Right? Not, literally, not, not a surrogate that will carry your child, but right? someone else who will give you a child and you will have children. Your lineage won't die. Her name is Hagar. Which means what in Hebrew? Hagar. The stranger. She's from the land of Egypt. That's a place... And the Bible is not a great place to be from. She's from the land of Egypt. She's a stranger. She bears a child. And then the text lets us know that as she bears a child, that something shifts in the power dynamic. Something happens between her and Sarai. All of a sudden, her mistress becomes light in her eyes. The text lets us know Sarai is not altogether very happy with this change in the power dynamic. She blames her husband, Avram, who then says, Not my problem. Take care of yourself. So, in a moment, before we will get to the difficulty, the rabbis want to read this as whose fault? The rabbis want to redeem whom? Sarah. The simple text, who's the villain in this text, just simply from our own perspective. Is it a good thing to treat your maidservant harshly enough that she would run away? So the rabbis are attuned to that problem in the text. And so the rabbis want to lift up the problem of Hagar, that she behaved inappropriately. Let's look at that apologetic for a moment. Just to give it some room, why not? Look at the seventh source. The seventh source, source number seven, is the great medieval commentator from France, Rashi Shlomo Yitzchaki. So now we're in France in the 11th century. He says, Vatikal givyerta ina, her mistress was slighted in her eyes. She said, meaning, Hagar said, Sarai ein sitra kigluya. This woman, Sarai, her conduct in private is not like the way she is in public. She kind of, she, t- she tries to present herself in her public image on her Facebook page like she's all holy. She's all that. But on the inside, she's not like that. She says, It must be in the world view of Rashi and in the rabbis that not having children, quote unquote, is a punishment in that, right, biblical perspective. And if she didn't have children all these years, and I was able to get pregnant so quickly, it must be that even though she presents herself as holy, there must be something not holy about her. Otherwise, why wouldn't she be able to conceive? So what's Rashi trying to do here? What's, what's this spin? Right? We're literally Kelly, you know, Kellyanne Conway is right here in this, in this, in the text. So I, I, I don't mean to out myself politically, but what, what's the spin of this great 11th century medieval commentator? How does he, how does he try to ameliorate such an obvious moral and ethical problem? Hagar was antagonizing her. Here Sarah or Sarai is saying, I want to lift you up and give you a place of power in the family structure. I'm going to give you a place of prominence. You're going to be the one who will give my husband, Avram, a child. And the minute she was promoted, she looked down and Sarai and said, you're not so holy. If you had been holy, you would have a child. Look at me. I'm Sandra B. You know, I have, I have my own, I have a child. I must be privileged in a way that you're not. Okay. In this reading of the rabbis, Hagar is, has a coming to her. In this reading of the rabbis, Hagar, who is the victim in the story, becomes the one who is victimizing Sarah. Sarah is only reacting... To a situation that is not her fault rabbi hammer we're going to get trust me this is we're not landing here just wanted you to hear this trust me i know where i'm going i know how to drive the bus rabbi rabbi hammer i just want to know that both of those people sarah are not exactly in positions of privilege right, right. We'll see this in a moment when we, we discuss systems of oppression and how marginalized people are sometimes pitted one against the other. We'll get there, I promise. In this moment of a hammer is lifting up, that the reality, of course, is neither Sarai nor Hagar had any choice, for the most part. Sarai most uh, most probably was not uh, married out of choice, and also they're part of a system of oppression which sees privilege that having a child is the only is is a part of worth. And legacy, all of those things are true to the text. But what's remarkable, of course, is to read Rashi, to read this 11th century commentator trying desperately to redeem Sarah. Let's look at a rabbi who was a little bit more courageous, in my opinion, about the reality of this text. Let's look to source number 10, which, of course, I used in the high holidays when I talked about this moment. Ramban is the name given to a rabbi named Moses Ben Nachman who lived in Spain in the 12th century. He lives after Rashi. Rashi's in France. He has Rashi's interpretation in front of him and he writes something directly at odds with Rashi. Directly at odds. Such a courageous thing he says. Vateaneh Sarai vativrach Pana, he says on the verse and Sarai Oppressed, abused, Hagar, and she fled from her presence, says this, this Rabbi, Nachman, Moshe Nachman Ramban, Chat'a imenu hazet. Our mother, our matriarch, sinned. Begam Avram, And also Abraham, in his allowing this to take place. He was responsible. He allowed it. He was, he couldn't say, it wasn't my fault. I told her that she could do what she wanted, but I didn't imagine that she would abuse her. What's, of course, absent from the Ramban is, of course, the the more macro, meta conversation, which is, not only did Sarah sin, but Sarah herself was part of a system of oppression, which we'll get to in a minute. But at least the Ramban, Nachmanides, is more honest about the text. What does Nachmanides say? I just said it, but what do you think he's saying? I can't hear. Sarah sinned. sinned. Is that a big deal to say about a matriarch in the Bible? Yes. Is it obvious? Yes. Is it honest? Yes. What was Sarah's sin? She had power, and what did she do with her power? She abused her power. Sarai becomes the... the She becomes the stand-in for all refugees. Because her name means the stranger, the refugee, the one who is not in their place. Hagar becomes the one manipulated by power, the one who is at the behest of those who have power and who is abused. And who is responsible? Abraham and Sarai. Let's look at these last two sources together. Thanks to Juliet, Elkin, Cruz for putting these into our open up this morning. Source number 11. The cleavage between the home and the public economy brought on by industrial capitalism established female inferiority more firmly than ever before. Woman became synonymous in the prevailing propaganda with mother and housewife. And both mother and housewife bore the fatal mark of inferiority. Who wants to read this last source, this last long quote? But read it strong if you want to read it. Anybody? Barbara, are you going to read it strong? Can you stand and read it? Okay, Barbara, read all the way down. We're going to go slowly, but we're in with you, okay? What is this? What is this, if not, to some degree, taking the Ramban and stepping one step even further, as many feminists and others have argued? Not only does the Ramban open the door for calling Sarai and Avraham sinners, but opens the door for us to say that the entire text is obviously embedded in a much bigger problem, a much broader problem, which is the problem, of course, of power and its abuse, and that the patriarchy is underneath all of it. The patriarchy that assumes, of course, and forces Sarai to think that the only way that she can matter to her husband is to have a child. The patriarchy that allows, right, two marginalized groups to be at odds with one another and to not find a common bond and even especially on this morning, which, across this country, is National Refugee Awareness moment. And in the sources I told you to look at later, the fundamental truth of our Torah is that, to some degree, the whole Torah is trying to move us towards a recognition of power and the disempowered and how we lift up those who are marginalized and abused because of an inaccurate reading of power. So here we have the text of the morning, Sarai and the story of her relationship with the foreigner, the refugee, the one whom she thought could build her and didn't, and the meta question of how is it that we work with naming and dismantling systems of oppression? Systems of marginalization systems of power dynamic systems that reinforce narratives of superiority. How do we do that? And the first thing is that we name it We can't fix a problem until we name it accurately So as long as we think that Hagar is really the problem because really it was Hagar's fault because she wound up talking down to her mistress That's not getting us anywhere And as long as we think that that we can say, you know what, Sarah sinned, that's getting us a little bit closer. But the text is problematic. It's a terror text. It's a text of radical confusion around what is it that is the deep value structure of our tradition, which is lift up the marginalized, lift up those who are exposed, support the vulnerable and the fallen. So this morning's Open Up in honor of National Refugee Awareness Shabbat is an open up. It is open and up for all of us standing here. To stand up this morning for the sake of those who are on the margins, to stand up for those who have no one to stand up for them, to stand up and to recognize systems of oppression that must be dismantled only by naming those systems and finding alliances intersectionally with all of those who must be lifted in a society that would have and pit one against the other. That's this morning's first reading. I invite you to please rise.